Hello, you're listening to Sexual Transmissions with me, Esther, and sexual health doctors, Jaja and Frankie. Have you ever thought of going for a sexual health checkup, but were too embarrassed at what they might ask? Are your sexual fantasies very different to your sexual reality? Have you had your fill of pterodactyl porn and you're wondering where to go next? Whether you're a sexual novice or seasoned in the sheets, this is a chance to talk about sex and to think about pleasurable, safe ways of having sex that will help protect your body and your mind. From testing to infections, sex-positive mentality to gender identity, chemsex to fetish, each week we'll talk about a different aspect of sex, sexual health and well-being. We're all thinking about sex, so let's talk about it. Welcome to Sexual Transmissions. tuned in to sexual transmissions your very own sexual health show i'm esther and i'm here with sexual health experts frankie and jar jar so today we're going to be talking all about herpes oh yes herpes um but before we get started we are a new crew we've only had one episode so far conscious you might not have listened to that which is fine so um we thought that we'd give you lovely listeners a chance to get to know us so I got thinking about how best we might do that. So I have a question for Frankie and Charger. <laughs> so guys, firstly, hello. Hello, hello there. Good to be back. <laughs> great, great to be back, isn't it? Joyous times. How are you doing today? Um, myself, I'm doing really, really well. Um, I've been enjoying, you know, the sunshine recently. I think we're uh, about to have a bit of rain though, which is sad, but at least we've had some nice sun despite the lockdown which has been helpful absolutely i mean either way we are indoors aren't we so yes. <laughs> it's just the weather feels like a faraway concept yes. <laughs> and uh frankie over there how are you doing i am doing fine i have um just yesterday finished what feels like working several million days in a row but isn't quite as long as that um so i'm off today which is very very nice had a very long lie-in so i am rejuvenated I feel. When you say very long lying, are you one of those people that's like, yeah, and I got up at eight? <laughs> I'm the opposite of that. It was a solid 11 o'clocker. Fantastic. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You deserve <laughs> yeah. that. You, you deserve re- that. Yeah, you bloody do. Because um, you were saying what they were trialing, um, well, for listeners who don't know, so you're well on the front line um, at the moment during the crisis. So your shift trial at the moment is, was it 7-2? This week, yeah, it's been seven days on and two days off wild um, but yeah this is just a little temporary number we just have to work a few more weekends than usual just to like fill in a few gaps most of the the sexual health doctors have been redeployed to different departments and so we're kind of covering our um original kind of hiv and sexual health patients um in a slightly different way so one of those things but it's all right because i'm off today well that is absolute perspective whenever i'm like oh gosh need a weekend um, okay, well, you know, enough for the chit chat. Onto this bloody question that I know the <laughs> listeners are wondering: What is it? Um, so, guys, what sexual fantasy would you be, and why? Um, oh, shall I shall I go first, Frankie? Dive I, in. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Gives me time to think. <laughs> <laughs> Panic. 
<laughs> if I were a sexual fantasy, <laughs> I feel like I would be a vampire sexual fantasy. Oh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> fantastic, yes. I feel like, I don't know, I've always, and, and this is not my fantasy per se, but I always feel like I've resonated with kind of like vampire-y vibes. Mm. I, quite tall, slender. I'm not super pale, but I am a creature of the night, I guess. <laughs> well, well. I do love, do love the night, uh, so yeah. So many options with this so fantasy. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, precisely. And what does that say about Jar Jar? Very versatile. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Tenacious. <laughs> Tenacious, uh, some, would, some would argue with that with that comment. <laughs> How, whether I'm versed okay. or not, I'm not sure. In, um, sexual, well, in, in men in particular, people define themselves as top, bottom, or versatile. Yeah. Or so versatile gives certain impressions about Jar Jar as well, and a whole yes. different way. Yes. So <laughs> a top, a top usually is the one giving. A bottom is usually the one receiving, and a verse usually does both. So. Well, I never. <laughs> um, okay, Frankie. Um, I'm afraid. I'm yeah. just stalling. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. what a question. Um, I, I'm not sure. So I'm stuck between a couple, mostly because I'm just trying to say things that make the most sense, but then kind of not make any sense. Neither of these are my, my personal fetishes or fantasies, but I thought I'd either be looning which is when people um tend they'd like to in, have sexual pleasure with balloons so i'm like i'm quite colorful vibrant a pop you know <laughs> that, that sort of goes down so so that either that which i feel you know everyone loves not everyone loves a balloon some people are scared of balloons but lots Very of true. people like balloons and they're quite colorful and fun and <laughs> otherwise my other option because that, that literally makes no sense is um sploshing which is when people enjoy like throwing food at each other and kind of getting sexual pleasure because i am very messy i like to think hopefully that i'm something that's quite approachable and people find familiar in some way and not scary you know i'm trying to throw food yeah, at why not <laughs> i think probably most people who are sexually active could involve food in some way whether that's a very subtle you know, one of these um, those edible pants or a bit of chocolate body paint. Yes. <laughs> Full on sploshing, sat in a bathtub covered in a trifle. So, yes. you know, there's a, there's a range. I mean, when you said sploshing, the first food that came to mind for me was lasagna. And I don't know why. I thought a burger. That was the first thing. I just pictured someone throwing a Big Mac and it just like... Yeah. Oh. yeah. <laughs> and like, you know what? Sure, Big Macs can be sexy. Um, All right, Esther, we need to hear yours. Now. Oh, as if. Uh, okay, I thought I might get away with this by just segueing nicely into the next segment, but um, clearly not. So, uh, yeah, I'd say um, when I asked myself this question earlier, I'm just going to go with immediately what came to mind, and I'm not going to I'm not going to filter it. No apologies. Yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, so I'll set the scene. It's um, about twelve thirty p.m. on a Tuesday. And we're in Sainsbury's, but like a big Sainsbury's with a salad bar. Okay. Well, you so far. <laughs> so that's where we are. It's like <laughs> peak time um, for business people everywhere to go and buy their lunch. And um, what's happening is, you know, that there's the bit in Sainsbury's where you can get your meal deal. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so what's happening in my mind is that I'm not sure where I am in this equation, but there's, <laughs> there's people that are like trying to get the meal deal of their dreams. And they're like trying to find like the, the sandwich that matches the snack. Right. And then they don't know if they're going to get the right one. And then basically like the serene malt loaf, someone like really sexily opens the serene malt loaf. <laughs> and then basically they, <laughs> they just kind of put that meal deal together. And then they just, everyone starts sort of like naked running around Sainsbury's, but holding their new meal deal. It sounds like very safe. Wow. Very yeah. Safe. That it's sounds safe. like very... It's very safe. <laughs> I just don't know why Serene Malt Loaf came to mind as a thing that was getting undressed. I have to say, like, in all the, the spectrum of um, people who've come in to tell me about different sexual things that have happened, um, no one's ever brought in a Serene Malt Loaf um, no. into that. Whether that was because they didn't feel I needed to know it, which I very much <laughs> did, um, or whether that was it's just not as common. Well, I hope that that sheds some light on who we are. <laughs> but, you know... Moving on to our, our topic um, today, which is all about herpes. So last week, if you listened in, we spoke all about sexual health in the time of corona um, and testing anxiety as well. Um, so we talked about kind of, you know, if you're new to testing, if you've never been tested, um, or if you're experiencing, um, you know, being separated from um, someone that you might be dating during corona, um, or if you're self-isolating, what do you do? What's best practice? Um, so you can still have a listen to that if you'd wish. But today we thought we'd focus on um, an STI and really get down to it um, and unpack the kind of the, the myths, debunk some of them um, and really understand fact from fiction, separate the two. So in this episode, we're going to talk about herpes, uh, look at how it's spread and what to expect if you do get it. But um, before we discuss all this, I think it's important that we kind of um, lay out what exactly herpes is. And before I give a brief explanation on herpes, I'm curious uh, to know, Esther, what you know about herpes and what's your understanding about herpes? Yes, I'd love to tell you what I do slash don't know at all about herpes. Um, I feel like my knowledge is limited, for starters. Mm -hmm. um, but what comes to mind is that, firstly, from a clinic perspective, as in when I've been tested and checked, hasn't been tested for like chlamydia and gonorrhea were in the clinic. Also, just not hugely sure how I'd pass it on to someone if I did get it. So I think, yeah, bit of a not, yeah, don't feel confident about that. Also, treating, not sure. Is it a cream? Is it a pill? Is it both? Don't know. And I would also say that if a friend got it, wasn't sure, wouldn't be sure how to like advise them on what to do. And, um, is there a connection between the cold sore and herpes? Because that's something I haven't been sure of, but I feel like I've heard that. Brilliant. Okay. These are all really, really um, great points that you've brought up. And um, okay. I think we'll be discussing some of these throughout the episode as well. But kind of just to give you um, a brief background about what we mean by what we're today when we talk about herpes, um, just for our listeners. Um, so herpes, we're referring to genital herpes, which is caused by the herpes simplex virus. And there is a link with cold sores there, which we'll get into, Esther. So we'll talk about how the virus can 
also cause cold sores. But what we're re- mainly talking about today in, in, in regards to a sexually transmitted infection is um, genital herpes, which causes um, anything from kind of like burning or tingling down in your genital regions or around your bum, or it can cause um, blisters, which can um, pop and lead to like things like sores. So like, you know, like kind of like little indent sore areas in the skins, which we call ulcers. Um, and that's what we really mean by herpes. And this is not to be confused. I know some people get a little bit confused with um, general warts and herpes yes, sometimes. General definitely. warts is caused by the human papillomavirus, HPV. These are not normally painful. They're usually just like small lumps also around your bum and around your genitals. Um, they can be a bit itchy, but they don't really cause these blisters or sores that we see in herpes. Okay, great. Well, that's such a, such a good start for this week's episode. Thank you so much for clearing that up. Um, so moving on to separate more facts from fiction, I have a lovely little segment on my sleeve, the first time called Quite Frankly, where our other resident sexual health expert, Frankie, tells us many extremely fun facts um, about an STI, this one obviously being herpes. So Frankie, just passing over to you here. Do you have any fun facts to get us going with on herpes? Some fun facts, some herpes fun facts. Fun fact. Okay, so to start with herpes, I think it's something that people are like always associate with fear. Oh my goodness, herpes, you know, there's nothing that can cure it. What's gonna happen? And there's lots of uncertainties. So I think one of the most important things to know about herpes is that the majority of people have herpes. And it's only in the minority that they they tend to have any symptoms. So a rough estimate is about 70% of people in England by the age of 25 have contracted some form of herpes. So that's almost everyone. Like so, but only about a third of those would ever get any symptoms. Um, And of those people that get symptoms, the majority of those people um, have mild symptoms or maybe have some more moderate symptoms which fade over time and it's in the vast minority that they ever have um, significant enough herpes symptoms that um, that it causes a, a big effect on their life and there's things that can be done about that which we'll go into but I just want to get kind of a big scale of um, the impact of herpes overall. So there's, there's type 1, herpes type 1, um, which tends to classically be thought of as cold sores that you get on your lips, your upstairs lips, and then herpes type two, which tends to be more genital. So on, yeah, around your genitals, around your bottom. Um, with sexual practice, of course, there's, there's overlap with um, you know, herpes type one ulcers actually being the most common form of genital ulcers, but uh, herpes type two being thought of with the classic herpes symptoms, and it's slightly more, more of an aggressive form on the genitals. So that's kind of the overall kind of things. If you have herpes type one, I mean, like, these, of course, all of us, um, if we didn't have them ourselves, no, you know, kids running around four or five years old onwards with um, cold sores, it's a very, very common thing. Herpes type one can give a bit of protection over um, severity of symptoms if you did get herpes type two um, downstairs. And like I say, it, it's a very, very, very common thing. It's, it's one of the reasons why when people do contract genital herpes, not everyone knows about it. So yeah, that's, that's not really sharp fun facts but that's kind of just a bit of an introduction to herpes absolutely i mean i didn't know that there was a type one and a type two actually so that in itself is um interesting new information is that kind of is that kind of widely known or is that quite a lot of confusion between that 
I think sometimes people do say, oh, isn't it just a cold sore downstairs? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of like a common thing that people think of. And in some ways, being as I say, you know, herpes type one is what we classically call a, a cold sore. If you have a herpes type one ulcer downstairs, then that is kind of what it can be like. But of course, it can manifest slightly differently on your genitals. And, and sometimes it's more noticeable um, for someone just because it's a sensitive area. And herpes type 2, as much as it's similar, like I say, it can be a bit more of a prominent ulcer. And sometimes you can get um, other symptoms with it, for example, flu-like symptoms um, and kind of like muscle pains and feeling quite feverish and dreadful the first time you get it. So um, that tends to be just the first time, or you might get it a bit more subtly if you have any further flares, but they're very, very closely related. Mm. Um, it's just like a slight different manifestation but anytime that someone we think does have herpes we always test to see whether it's herpes type 1 or herpes type 2 just so we can give them a bit more information about what um, predictions basically as regards symptoms moving forward whether they're more likely to have flares or not and go from there. So what I mean from your perspective um, it's not to my knowledge something that is tested for it's not a set as an STI that is sort of generally tested for, like we might imagine, you know, chlamydia or gonorrhea is, etc. So why why is that? Considering that it's something that sounds like it, you know, something that most of us probably have. So the reason is, so if someone comes to the clinic and they have, for example, an ulcer on their genitals, they have something that we think after examination and after their history is an indication that they might have herpes. We do a swab of that site to say is this herpes and if so what type other than that thing is you know i was saying already the majority of people have herpes the minority of people who have who have herpes of that group who are positive are ever going to have symptoms um and so if you tell if you give someone a blood test um and there's a few examples as to why you might but in the majority of people if you give someone a blood test to show that there's been herpes in their body um it is either going to just cause them to say oh right well i've never had a symptom but herpes is in my body am i ever going to be affected or not or people who have had sores and have already been swabbed and found to have herpes it won't be a surprise so it's not really something that we would worry about it being in your body in that sense. It's more, right. is it affecting your life? Are you having symptoms? And if so, what do we need to do about that? If, we, if, you know, if seven out of 10 people before the age of 25 have been in contact with herpes, then are we just going to, you know, are those people just going to be sat at home being like, I have had herpes in my body? A lot of people have cold sores and that will still show up in their blood as contact with herpes because that's what herpes is. Um, and, you know, that's not, we would only do something if it's going to have an impact on their on their health in the future and their well-being. So it's very much kind of case by case. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and kind of, I guess, as it sounds like it's something that's got such a, that's such, got such a spectrum attached to it um, and can really affect people in kind of different ways. How does when you're kind of diagnosing someone? How do you how do you go about that? What's that? What's that experience like from your perspective? Right. So, I mean, so I think, yeah, when someone is suspicious of herpes and certainly when we first diagnose herpes I would say in my experience and I know um, Jaja we've talked about this and you you feel the, the same way of had similar experiences people often are filled with dread filled with fear mm. it's something that there's there's actually a, a great deal of stigma around um, herpes and people see it as something that's unclean people see it as oh, someone's got 
yeah, like they're, they're not clean. They have they sh- someone you should avoid having sex with someone. I mean, there's some really vulgar, horrible words for that people use for people who are having herpes sores. And I think just the fact that people identify it as something that's non-curable and non-controllable and unpredictable. And is, what does this mean? Am I going to have lots of sores forever? Is it going to happen again? Am I just sitting waiting for a flare? Because there's so much uncertainty with it. Um, and like I say, there are things that we can do to, to help with that. But certainly from the beginning, um, when, it's, when it's a new thing for someone, then they can be filled with absolute fear. We have people, in, in fact, I would say to the, to the point that some people um, react more severely than to an HIV diagnosis at times. And that would, wow. in the sense, you know, HIV is something that, of course, there's so much stigma um and everyone reacts in their own way when they're diagnosed and it's very individual but hiv and i think people are being a bit more educated as regards controlling it if you if you take your tablets and have an undetectable viral load then you are at zero risk of infecting anyone else with hiv you can have that ownership and that control knowing that you're looking after your body you're having the appropriate blood test you're seeing the doctor often once once stable once a year and have that ownership over your body and that control over a virus that's in your body. Whereas with herpes, being as some as sometimes it's unpredictable about when you're going to get a flare, about also the fact that you can shed the virus asymptomatically and there's the potential to, if the levels are high enough, to give someone herpes when you may not even realise. Mm. Um, and just the fact that it's a virus that stays in your body I think it can induce a lot of fear in people. I mean, chickenpox stays in your body forever. And you well, can yeah. Shingles, and that's, that's also unpredictable. Of course, that's less common that people have shingles, but there's not that same stigma with the shingles as people have with um, herpes, which can be contracted in very kind of, um, you know, like I say, people can contract herpes in relatively innocent ways if they have cold sores as children and then with sexual practice, someone else gets genital herpes that's really not something that we should be um, stigmatizing people for, especially as the majority of us have it. And we may not, we were just lucky enough to never know about it. Exactly. I think if, if people were aware of, the, of that fact that a lot of us do probably just have it, it's some strain of it, some form of it, um, but it's showing itself in different ways, then, you know, might question some of that, that fear around it. So do you think that, um, well, I guess, what do you think the, the root of the, of the stigma of the taboo is and then let's smash it (laughs) (laughs) i think the root of the stigma it's really kind of a culmination of what frankie's talked about it's the idea of something that doesn't that cannot be cured we can treat it however i think that's something that people don't recognize enough that there is there are treatment options out there. No, we can't get rid of it fully. We can't get the virus out of your body, but we can manage it. Um, I think the idea of having something incurable is the source of a lot of stigma and a lot of fear for people. And I think that plus, again, what Frankie mentioned, the idea that you can pass it on, you, you know, without necessarily know you're doing so, because you might not have symptoms, but there is a small chance you could be shedding the virus. Um, and, you know, it spreads by skin to skin contact. So, um, you know, if you have an area that's been infected by herpes and, you know, that is rubbing against another person's, you know, similar area, like in the general regions, for example, if you're just even rubbing genitals together, you know, not even necessarily having full 
um, insertive sex or anything like that, there is a small risk of being able to trans transfer that virus to that other person. So I think that fear of like not always knowing when you're at risk of passing it on or when you're at risk of receiving it, you know, yeah. from the other end, you know, um, causes a lot of fear. But it really goes back to the idea that, like Frankie said, 70% of us are walking around with the virus in our bodies. The virus lives in, in our nerves, right? And then it comes out when we have a flare. So, but otherwise it lies dormant in our nerves. And for most of us, you know, it will just stay there in the nerves and never come out. But that doesn't mean that we don't have herpes. It's still in our system. It's just not showing itself. And I think people really need to, especially if you've had, you know, multiple partners, unprotected sex, you know, you know, even a handful of times, you know, if your partners have also had unprotected sex a handful of times, you know, that's already exponentially increasing the risk. And if 70% of the people are having the virus, chances are you probably have it on board as well. You're just, well, exactly. one, of the You're just one of the lucky ones that doesn't have symptoms with it. So I think if people really understand that everyone has herpes, you know, not everyone, but pretty much virtually everyone has herpes. It's just about whether you have symptoms or not. I think that is the way we smash this stigma towards herpes. Mm. When you say shedding. So shedding, when I say shedding the virus, I mean, that's when the virus is active. So when it lies dormant, you know, it's, it might not be at levels where you can pass it on to a person. So you need a certain level of virus um, to be able to infect another person, kind of like with, you know, coronavirus, we're saying that, you know, there are measures that you can take to like help reduce the risk of infection, you know, um, by yeah. like washing your hands, it like kills off most of the virus so that even if there's a little bit of virus or cleaning a surface, even if there's a little bit of a virus on the surface left, it's not at a level that will infect another person. So when you're shedding, it means that your body, the virus is at levels in your body that is high enough to be passing on to um, another person so that it would actually result in an infection because you need to have a certain level of like whether it's a virus or a bacteria it's only going to cause an infection or symptoms once it reaches a certain level so i guess with with that in mind to what extent can you eliminate the risk or maybe is is that the wrong question mm. it's not about eliminating the risk but about minimizing it um, in which case, how how does one do that with with herpes, considering how prevalent it is? So there's a few things. So as as Jaja says, shedding is when you are there's enough of the virus multiplying. So it's a seep in your nose. There's enough of it that's awake and active and multiplying that it could be passed on to another person. So that can be low level, like I say, or it can be significant enough to pass on to someone. If you, some people have what they call a prodrome, which means that they have symptoms like before they even get a sore. So they sometimes have a bit of a tingle or they feel like something is not quite the same as it was before. The sensation is slightly different. Um, and, and herpes tends to be in the same or similar areas as where you've had a sore before. So people tend, if they do get that prodrome thing, then it's basically tends to be in a very, very similar area and people get a bit more in tune with what's happening and a bit more used to it. So, sorry, was that, so you said a prodrome? Yeah. A prodrome. Is that, what would that potentially feel like? Is that like a kind of, is it different for everyone? Sometimes. I think most, yeah, most people describe it as kind of like a tingling in their genitals or in that area, or it feels like the sensation is a bit heightened or sometimes that it's a bit more numb or that it just doesn't feel 
I think I think it's probably a quite difficult thing for someone to put into words that they just tend to know. So you like know something's like some a people, bit off. Yeah. Not everyone has that, but some people do. Now, That's helpful of the body. But when they, with the people that do have it, we say from that point is when you're potentially there's enough virus that it, that you would be um, infectious to someone or more infectious to someone. Right. So we would, we would tend to say from that point until about um, five to seven days after the sores have healed over, that's when you're at highest risk of passing herpes to another person. Now, as Jaja said, there's, there's also shedding. So there's also some levels of replicate of, of multiplication, sorry, of the virus when you don't have those symptoms. Um, but the best way to protect is with condom use. And also some people um, need to take um, antiviral tablets as well, which can also reduce the, the levels of shedding. So what we tend to do kind of, so if someone has that, that prodrome, that, that kind of um, heads up, I suppose, that they're going to have a, a flare, um, we advise them to take an antiviral tablet from that time. The antiviral tablets um, just tend to be for five days. It depends which one you're using, but that's kind of the, the classic is one called a cyclovir, which is for five days. And what it does, it stops the, the multiplication of the virus in its tracks. So it doesn't cure the herpes. It doesn't stop the herpes from that's already multiplied and active from doing anything, but it stops the, the flare from being as long and as severe. So it, it kind of mutes the, the symptoms, if you see what I mean. So at that time, then that's, that stops the, the levels of the virus being so active. But we would say for that time, if you're having a natural flare, to avoid having sex. And then for, a, for general for general kind of sexual intercourse when you're not having a flare, then we would say them that condoms are a very, very good weapon, I suppose, against um, passing on herpes to other people. As you were saying that I was picturing um, an image that came to mind was like for a pair of actual flares and sure. how basically these kind of um, antiviral drugs, you know, they like, if you picture a really tight pair of flares that are deeply uncomfortable and you've just like had a roast then they like loosen the buttons for you so that they're actually quite a comfortable pair of flares <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and you know these flares you know they come in all sorts of patterns and colors exactly um, absolutely but you know um they have to it, it's not always going to be comfortable it sounds like but there are there are ways there are ways to treat and yeah. um are there kind of any form of sort of support group or another form of sort of support for people if they are kind of like sitting with the diagnosis but maybe have some of that fear? There are some really, really amazing support groups um, who've got really um, to the point and useful information. So um, I would definitely um, say if you just, just even Google the Herpes Viruses Association, which has got some really good fact sheets, which just make it really clear about kind of the same, the same things we, we pointed out at the beginning, that the majority of people have herpes, the, you know, about a third of people who've been infected get some symptoms. If they get those symptoms, most people are minimally affected and they may just get a flare here or there. 
um, and the frequency of flares in you know tends to decrease with time. So if someone's been unlucky enough that they're getting quite severe um, symptoms at the beginning, they you know sometimes that will that will just fade with time and get less and less and less. Some people are unlucky that it still affects them and they still do get a significant flare um, a few years after. But it certainly the amount of flares and how um, how sore it is basically decreases in time um, and sometimes to get over that difficult period we give people antiviral tablets as well which they take um, every day for um, up to a year um, just so if they're you know if they're really getting a lot of flares at the beginning it can just help them get over that difficult period mm -hmm. and then after that we um, we stop the tablets and they tend to have what we call a rebound flare, which means once the virus has not been suppressed, it's kind of had a little time to kind of uh, stretch its arms and say, right, I'm coming out. And then one after that, if, you know, if they're not really getting many flares, then they can stay off and just use those tablets as and when, or they may indeed not need to use them very much at all. The rebound flare sounds like when the mum gene came back in. <laughs> you know, and there were some really mixed mixed reviews. I, for one, was a fan, but you know they didn't they didn't stretch well. So um, there's some good information out there, and there's really good support groups. Some people do it face to face. Some people like um, have meetings and have like online forums. And um, I think it's really important that people kind of get the um, the big picture on on how many people are affected with herpes and kind of what they do if they are and and exactly as you say so we can kind of stomp on this stigma and just be kind of be well informed about what we do if if someone is affected with herpes and so and the one of the main considerations is that herpes is something that we can control um with treatment and make sure we have good quality of life but it, there is it is important to be aware that if you're pregnant and at risk of a new infection of herpes um, so if you haven't had herpes before, but you have a partner who maybe is at risk of giving you herpes, um, that you make sure that you tell the midwives and maybe also see the sexual health doctors before, because there may be a few precautions um, that need to be taken just to avoid the baby getting herpes. If people have herpes already and they get pregnant, we would expect them to have a normal vaginal delivery, the same as anyone else. But it's just if they're at risk of getting herpes for the first time, especially later on in the pregnancy. Yeah, and I would definitely encourage if anyone especially has been recently diagnosed or if you're struggling, you know, with your diagnosis of herpes um, and it is affecting your life to definitely reach out to those, um, you know, to, to these support groups that Frankie's mentioned, because, um, you know, as we've discussed before, it, it's it's really hard to to give that diagnosis to someone in a clinic because by the time you've taken someone's sexual history examined them taken swabs gotten everything back and you know you're working on a 20 minute slot per patient you know yeah. and then you have five minutes left to explain all of these things to another person and you know a lot of people like frankie said it's a it's a it's a difficult diagnosis to 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 understand and it's a complex diagnosis um, and there's lots to talk about and often you know even as clinicians like we sometimes we just go through it because we want you to have all that information 
But, you know, we recognize that sometimes that's not always helpful as well because we don't have the time to do it. And we know that sometimes like it's too much information and people just shut down. Mm. So I think it's, it's really important to have like those other sources to do reading, you know, credible sources to, to read up on herpes about, you know, the BASH website's also really great. NHS, anything on the NHS website is going to be um, reliable. And also, you know, what I would say is don't be afraid to also book in another appointment at a sexual health clinic to just Absolutely. Your herpes. Like we see patients that just come in, no, nothing new. They just want to talk more about their herpes diagnosis. And that is completely okay. Please do that. Please come in and talk to us because we know it's a lot. We know there's lots, there's going to be lots of questions and uncertainty. And I think if we can empower those people to, um, you know, who do end up having symptoms in a diagnosis, to be confident in, in explaining herpes to their partners, you know, whether they be long-term or casual, that that is the only way that we're going to, to break the stigma because we need, you know, people in the community who are equipped with information and who are confident enough to say, actually, yes, I do have herpes, but this is how it's being managed. And guess what? You probably have the virus too. Like, you know, this is not something I need to be ashamed of. This is something that you can have an open conversation about. Um, and that's really the goal, I would think. Absolutely. I think it's so, so great to know that that is an option for people that they can come back without a new, a new thing. They can come back to continue the conversation and say, you know, this is where I'm at with it now. So it's not, you don't just have that 20 minute slot where it's like do or die, get everything in. Like this is what, and it's information overload that is scary. And it, that's, that's a lot for people to take in, but that there's ways to kind of, there's ways yeah. to navigate that and there's ways to continue the conversation. Absolutely. Um, so I have um, so, uh, a kind of qu question. I wondered if, um, you know, people might be wondering um, to pose to you. So um, what if someone kind of already has herpes in their system, but doesn't actually show any symptoms? So if they have sex with someone who has symptoms, possibly someone who's having a flare, as you mentioned before, would the symptomless person then start to actually show sim symptoms of herpes themselves? So that's a really interesting question. So I think... The person, so the first point is, so the person with herpes in, the, in their system, but doesn't have symptoms, one, it's very unlikely they'd know, if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. So they may have had a flare in the past, which was very mild. They probably just thought, oh, God, there's a bit of itchiness down there. I need to change my pants. They might, they might not have even thought anything. So that person is going to be the majority of people. And that person may not, may not ever know they have herpes. So this is all kind of hypothetical. But if someone in, has herpes type 1 in their body and they then have sex with herpes, someone with herpes type 2, they could definitely get herpes type 2. However, there seems to be a, um, a form of protection having herpes type 1 as regards the severity of the herpes type 2 symptoms if you see what I mean so that it offers some form of protection so they may not be as symptomatic as they would have been if they hadn't had it so in in some ways having that cold sore when you're running around in reception is kind of a blessing sometimes in some way it can be it can be secondly if someone has herpes type 2 um, and they have sex with someone with herpes type 2 you can get an infection in a different area so that can be, um, for example, if you were having vaginal sex or oral sex and then you were having anal sex, you can, sometimes people do something 
um, where basically if they if they infect themselves, so they, they can like kind of with, with their hands be touching one area and then touch another area when there's a lot of virus in the fluids and they can then infect themselves with herpes type 2 equally if someone else has a lot of high amount of virus of herpes type 2 in their sexual fluids they can give someone herpes type 2 in a different area but is it going to affect the herpes that you have already if you're already having very mild symptoms in one area probably not that original so so the so the herpes kind of as as Jaja already said is asleep in your nerves and it and it wakes up and causes herpes in a very very similar area some people are aware some people aren't aware but you could get sores in other areas or you could get sores from the different type got you thank Love you that's a very useful answer um because i'm sure that's something that some some people wonder about and i think what's important is that there's often and this is another part of the stigma there's often this blame game which is really not yes. in any way um so someone may have for example, what they believe is the first sore that they've had on their, let's say it's a woman and she's noticed a sore on her labia. And it's mild, but she's seen that there's something there. And she's like, gosh, I, I've had three partners in the last few months. Who is it? Well, how do I know what's happening? So first we would do a swab, confirm it was herpes. Now, this woman may have had herpes before, or this may have been her first time. She may have had herpes for 10 years and just been lucky enough to have very, very mild, not very noticeable flares before, and this one's a bit more noticeable, or she may have new herpes from one of these recent partners. And, and there's not really, a, unless you've not had any other partners for like any form of genital sex, and then you do, and then you have um, your first symptoms of herpes, then it's obviously a lot more easier to track down. But other than that, I think it can actually cause a lot more distress than good to try and do this blame game one way or the other. As we say, the majority of people have herpes. Um, they may not know they have herpes. They may have flares that are so mild that they don't know they've given someone herpes. You know, there's, there can be indications. So often with herpes type two, as I say, you tend to get, a, a lot of people get a bit fluey and feverish for the first time, which is an indication that it's a recent infection, um, which tends to happen within a couple of weeks of, of getting the herpes but it's not fully, fully reliable and it can cause a lot of stress um, if someone's just unlucky enough to be that person that has symptoms. Um, they may be angry with a lot of other people who may have herpes but thought that they weren't infectious at that time and they had asymptomatic um, amounts of virus or people who have never had symptoms and didn't even realise there was herpes in their body. Um, so it can, get, it can get like a very, very muddy, muddy area. So, and even doing a blood test to see if you had antibodies to see if you have like any protection of herpes in your in your body doesn't show how long you've had them for so there is a place for that but finding like using it for the blame game is not the place for that and i'd say like you know in the blame game in general um i'm sure that's across across stis in terms of i'm sure there's a lot of that that kind of comes into play for people when they do when they do find something out but i guess something that we raised in the last episode was you know, it's, it is a daunting prospect to take that responsibility for your own, your own health, but, but it is yours. And, um, you know, and there are, and, and there are ways, even if you've done everything you can to protect yourself, so to speak, from contracting an STI, if you get one, there are ways to manage it. Um, and hopefully, hopefully this episode, we've shed some light on shed. You <laughs> word for me. Yeah. Shed some light 
on what some of those might be. Um, so really, do we all have herpes? Well, quite a few of us probably do, um, mm -hmm. but um, that is not the end of the world, guys. So um, hopefully this episode has, you know, separated a bit of fact from fiction um, and reduced some of the fear and hopefully tackled a bit of that taboo. Um, so that brings us to the end of um, episode two of Sexual Transmissions. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're still new to this, so um, please do um, get in touch with us to let us know what you thought about it. If you'd like to hear anything new, um, different, we want to hear from you. So please say hi. Uh, you can get in touch with us um, by emailing us um, at sxltransmissions at gmail.com. And in terms of the health information that's come up in this episode, you don't have to try and remember it. We'll put it up on our social media channels so um, you, can, you can find us on Instagram and, and Twitter too. So thank you very much for joining us. Please join us next time um, where we'll delve into a very different topic. Um, so um, thank you, Jar Jar and Frankie, for all of your wisdom and insights as always. Thank you, Esther. Pleasure. Thank you, Esther. Oh, pleasure. Well, I mean, and I hope that listeners have really, um, you know, got thinking themselves about uh, what sexual fantasy they would be and why. I know that I'm <laughs> still really concerned about what I said. Um, <laughs> um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, hope you're staying safe and well um, during, during these times. Until next time, goodbye.